And good afternoon. You're listening to Ken Hodnell. This is the Ken Hodnell Show. Coming to you from our studios. Right here in exciting El Paso, Texas. Gateway to the Old West. In the most haunted city in the country. Well, today is November the 14th. 318th day of the year. 47 days remain to this year's over and done with. Well, you all wanted me to give you holidays and observances. It's National Spicy Guacamole Day. National Pickle Day. I saw something today that surprised me. It was dill pickle chip vegan style. Never saw that before. Operating Room Nurse Day. Loosen Up Lighten Up Day. World Diabetes Day. Children's Day. National American Teddy Bear Day. The, uh, interestingly enough, the teddy bear was named after Theodore Roosevelt. Well, we got Human Animal Relationship Awareness Week. Transgender Awareness Week, as if we needed to be made any more aware of them. National Young Readers Week. Lung Cancer Awareness Month. National Children's Month, World Vegan Month, National Peanut Butter Lovers Month, November, National Epilepsy Awareness Month, National Native American Heritage Month, Manatee Awareness Month, National Pomegranate Month, National Novel Writing Month, and National Adoption Month. Well, all that having been said, 332 B.C., Alexander the Great is crowned Pharaoh of Egypt. He literally came within a hair's breadth of conquering the world. His mother had convinced him his father was Zeus. 1680 AD, German astronomer Gottfried Kirch discovers the great comet of 1680. First comet to be discovered by a telescope. 1770, James Bruce discovers what he believes to be the source of the Nile. For those who are not familiar with James Bruce, British traveler and travel writer who confirmed the source of the Blue Nile. Spent more than a dozen years in North Africa and Ethiopia, and in 1770 became the first European to trace the origins of the Blue Nile from Egypt to Sudan. He was uh, came from Stirlingshire, educated at Harrow and Edinburgh University. Began to study for the bar. His marriage to the daughter of a wine importer and merchant resulted in him entering that business instead. His wife, unfortunately, died within nine months of getting married, and so he uh, traveled to Portugal and Spain as part of the wine trade. 1812, Napoleonic Wars, Battle of Smoliani. French marshals of Victor and Ornat are defeated by the Russians under General uh, Peter Wittgenstein. 1851, Moby Dick, a novel by Herman Melville, is published in the U.S. 1889, pioneering female journalist Nellie Bly, also known as Elizabeth Cochran, begins a successful attempt to travel around the world in less than 80 days. Only took her 72 days. 1910, aviator Eugene Burton Ellie performs the first takeoff from a ship in Hampton Roads, Virginia. Took off from a makeshift deck on the USS Birmingham on a Curtis Pusher. The um, beginnings of what you uh, we know of is uh, aircraft carriers. Ninety fourteen, Jalensu City Hall, designed by. Elio Saarinen was inaugurated in Genesu, Finland. 1918, the Provisional National Assembly of the New Republic of Czechoslovakia meets to devise a constitution. 1920, Pesapalo, a Finnish version of baseball developed by Lori Pakala, is played for the first time in uh, Kazanami Park in uh, Helsinki. 1921, the Communist Party of Spain is founded in Issues the first edition of Mundo Obrero. 
1922, the British Broadcasting Company begins radio service in the UK. 1936, the Lionsgate Bridge connecting Vancouver and the North Shore region opens to traffic. 1940, World War II in England, uh, Coventry is heavily bombed by German Luftwaffe bombers. Coventry Cathedral was almost completely destroyed. 1941, World War II, the aircraft carrier HMS Ark Royal sinks due to torpedo damage from the German U-boat U-81. uh, It was sustained on November 13th. 1941, World War II, German troops aided by local auxiliaries murdering 9,000 residents of the Slonim Ghetto in a single day. 1952, the New Musical Express uh, publishes the first regular UK singles chart. 1957, the Appalachian Meeting in rural Tioga County in upstate New York is raided by law enforcement. Many high-level mafia figures are arrested uh, trying to flee. They didn't have many major uh, high-level mafia meetings, but this was one of the first. 1960, Ruby Bridges becomes the first black child to attend a non-white elementary school in Louisiana. 1965, Vietnam War, Battle of La Trang begins. First major engagement between regular American and North Vietnamese forces. 1967, the Congress of Columbia in commemoration of the 150th anniversary of the death of Policarpa Salavernetta declares this day as a day of Colombian women. 1967, American physicist Theodore Maiman is given a patent for his Ruby laser system, the world's first laser. 1969, Apollo program. NASA launches Apollo 12, the second crewed mission to the surface of the moon. 1970, Soviet Union enters ICAO, making Russia the fourth official language of organization. Now, the ICAO was the International Civil Aviation Organization. It's a specialized agency of the United Nations that coordinates the principles and techniques of international air navigation, fosters the planning and development of international air transport to ensure safe and orderly growth. Its headquarters is located in uh, Montreal, in Quebec, Canada. It adopts standards and recommended practices concerning air navigation. Nineteen seventy, Southern Airways Flight Nine Thirty Two crashes in the mountains near Huntington, West Virginia, kills seventy-five, including most all of the Marshall University football team. Nineteen seventy-one. Or nine enters orbit around Mars. Nineteen seventy three in the UK, Princess Anne marries Captain Mark Phillips on Westminster Abbey. The um Princess Anne. Uh she is the uh, Princess Royale. Anne Elizabeth Alice Louise. Remember the British royal family, second child, only daughter, Queen Elizabeth II and Prince Philip. Only sister, King Charles II. She was born in 39 of succession to the British throne and is now 17th. Has been since 1987. Princess Royal, a title that uh, she will hold for life. Must be nice to be born with a job. 1973, the Athens Polytechnic Uprising, a massive demonstration of popular rejection of the Greek military junta. 1967 to 74 begins on this date. 1975, with the signing of the Madrid Accord, Spain abandons Western Sahara. 19, uh, you know, Western Sahara is the disputed territory on the uh, northwest coast of Africa. About um, 20% of the territory is controlled by the self-proclaimed uh, Shirali Arab Democratic Republic, remaining 80% of the uh, territories occupied administered by Morocco. It's got a surface area of about 103,000 square miles. Second most sparsely populated country in the world, most severely 
uh, most populated, uh, most sparsely populated uh, country in Africa, and it consisted of desert flatlands. Total population is estimated to be a little bit over half million, of which nearly 40% live in Morocco-controlled uh, Leon, the largest city in Western Sahara. From 1975, Spain occupied it. It's been on the United Nations list of nine self-governing territories since 63, after Moroccan demand. Nineteen seventy-seven, during the British House of Commons debate, Labour Member of Parliament uh, Tam Dalyell poses what become known as the West Lothian question, referring to issues related to the devolution in the United Kingdom. Devolution uh, is the uh, Parliament of the United Kingdom's statutory granting of a uh, greater level of self-government to the Scottish Parliament. Uh, the Synod, the Welsh Parliament, the Northern Ireland Assembly, and the London Assembly and their associated executive bodies. Um, the difference in federalism uh, and, and the devolved powers of the subnational authority ultimately reside in central government, so the state remains uh, a de jure, a um, unitary state. Nineteen seventy eight, France conducts the Aphrodite nuclear test. It is twenty fifth in a group of twenty nine, um, between seventy five and seventy eight. Uh, these were French nuclear tests. Nineteen seventy nine, President Jimmy the Peanut Man Carter issues Executive Order one two one seven zero, freezing all Iranian assets in U.S. response to the hostage crisis. Nineteen eighty two, Black Lewinsa leader of Poland's uh, outlawed solidarity movements released after 11 months of internment near the Soviet border. 1984, Zambo City Mayor Cesar Climaco, a prominent critic of the government of Philippine President Ferdinand Marcos, is assassinated in his home city. You know who put, it, who, uh, put the assassin up to it. 1990, after German reunification, the Federal Republic of Germany and Poland signed a treaty confirming the older Nice line at the border between uh, Germany and Poland. 1991. American and British authorities denounce, um, announce indictments against two Libyan intelligence officials in connection with the downing of Pan Am Flight 103. 1991, Cambodian Prince Nordorm Sihanouk returns to Phnom Penh after 13 years in exile. 1992, in poor condition because of Cyclone uh, Forest, uh, Vietnam, Vietnam Airlines Flight 474 crashes near Nha Trang, killing 30. 1995, a budget standoff between Democrats and Republicans in the U.S. Congress forces the federal government to Temporarily close national parks and museums and run most government offices with skeleton crews. 2001, war in Afghanistan. Afghan Northern Alliance fighters take over the capital of Kabul with the help of our illustrious leader. 2001, magnitude 7.8 earthquake strikes a remote part of the Tibetan Plateau. The longest known surface uh, rupture recorded on land and is the best documented example of a super sure earthquake. 2003 astronomers discovered in 90377 Sedna, the most distant trans-Neptunian object. 2008, the first G20 economic summit opens in Washington, D.C. 2012, Israel launches a major military operation on the Gaza Strip in response to an escalation of rocket attacks by Hamas. 2016, a magnitude 7.6 earthquake strikes uh, Kaikoura, New Zealand, a, a depth of 15 uh, kilometers or 9 miles, resulting in the death of two people. 2017, a gunman kills four people and injures 12 others during a shooting spree across uh, Rancho Tahama, California. He earlier murdered his wife in their home. But that wasn't enough for 
him or enough to get folks looking for him. 2019, a mass shooting occurs at uh, Saugus High School in Santa Clarita, California. Results in three deaths, including that of the perpetrator and three other injuries. It's, um, you know, when people go on shooting rampages, they don't really stop initially to think of the potential outcome. They just think of striking back at the folks that have been giving them problems. And it may only be a problem in their mind, but it results in them having a, enough anger to kill. Well, we've been talking about paranormal encounters and asylums and hospitals and other institutions. Right now, we're talking about Clark Air Base Hospital. The... Um, It's interesting that um, at one point in time, this is one of the a very busy facility because of um, it's in the Philippines, so it was an easy stop. Troops in route back from uh, Vietnam, and uh, on one particular ghost tour, the investigators. Hadn't even started when uh, I began to see numerous flashes of light on the, the dark walls and ceilings of the abandoned old building's basement. Now, most buildings, if there's hauntings, you'll find some in the basement. Lights would also show up on the crew's video recordings during the, their debrief. Footsteps are heard at the far end of an empty uh, corridor, and when the team uh, goes down there to investigate the source, they hear knocks coming out of nowhere. And then the footsteps immediately stop. It was interesting to note that they saw a lot of graffiti scrawled on one of the walls that said, Beware of ghosts, which is probably good advice. Well, surrounding the building, two other investigators were surprised by the sound of a disembodied whisper that seems to originate somewhere in the air between them both, followed by the sighting of a face in one of the darkened corners of the room. Of course, uh, an immediate search revealed nobody physical in the area. The same visual manifestation, the face in the darkness, and appears to the first two investigators as well. Shortly before one of them uh, experiences the uh, the interesting sensation of his ear being grabbed by an unseen force of some kind. Probably just wanted to get his attention. And then they said suddenly there were sounds all around them in the basement, like a whole group of people surrounding us. All of this noise came from unknown sources. Then a white figure is fleetingly glimpsed lurking behind one of the structural support pillars before swiftly ducking back out of sight. And it was in exactly the same location which the staff members had been reported seeing a ghostly white apparition. Now, wrapping it all up, the ghost hunters said they have uh, successfully recorded what sounds very much like human screaming on their audio recording equipment originating in a uh, visibly empty corridor. Here's another twist on the tale that is the haunting of Clark Air Base Hospital. Then uh, this particular tour was being run by TAPS and they packed up their gear to head for another location on their world tour. And what was eventually shown on TV was only part of what would turn out to be a much darker story. According to uh, Ghost Hunter International star and TAPS team member Barry Fitzgerald regarding this episode on the show, um, he discussed his personal thoughts on the time he spent investigating Clark. Now He's obviously given a great deal of thought to what took place in the abandoned hospital building. And he uh, was very open about discussing it, willing to shed an ominous, ominous new light on the events taking place within an abandoned old building. He said, unfortunately, we didn't have the opportunity to research the entire base and surrounding area. We focused purely on the hospital building itself. 
and the old Clark Air Base Hospital is one of the few locations he said uh, he never wanted to go back to. Not because of what was going on on the upper floors, but because of what he found down in the basement. Now, a seasoned, highly regarded ghost hunter who considered the location to be so haunted, he wouldn't want to set foot there again. Um, clearly, there was more to the story than what was on the TV episode. He went on to say that uh, he remember they headed down into the basement. You hear the peanut gallery tuning up. It was with um, another investigator and um, one of the cameramen. And they're all moving with great caution. I mean, the hospital itself is in uh, an exceptionally dangerous building just due to deterioration and uh, vandalism. Uh, but clearly, it could be a death trap. He and the Ghost Hunters International crew encountered gaping holes in the floors on all levels of the building, which led straight down into the depths of the basement. And groping blindly about in the dark, it would be far too easy for an unwitting team member to fall silver stories to their death on the floor of the basement far below. As if the potential for a lethal fall wasn't enough, he uh, related that an anaconda had taken up residence in the Disused elevator shaft, ready to greet any unwary visitor who might be foolish enough to open the lift doors. It already been a close call when the team first made their way into the hospital. Uh, a snake had lunged at one of the directors while the group was tramping uh, their way through the long grass. Fortunately, that particular director uh, avoided being bitten. And the rooms and corridors leading to the basement were infested with bats. The... Uh, Ghost Hunters International team made good use of a, a bat detector. Bats and some other animals make use of a technique called ultrasound echolocation, sending out waves on a specific frequency in order to help them navigate. And a bat detector is just what it sounds like. It's an ultrasonic device that interprets those waves and turns them into a sound that the humans can hear. And making their way into the underground chamber, the Investigators are listening to the sounds made by the nesting bats. He said that we must have come across a few faulty bats because every so often one was smashed into one of our chests and backs as we continued to make our way through their home territory on the way to the basement. But as the investigators finally reached the basement, they encountered silence. Everything was absolutely quiet, he said. They remember thinking, what's going on here? There's another hole that took them deeper again into the real subterranean uh, section. Huge hole that went down beneath the actual foundations. And he was thinking to himself, he said, that this was quite far enough. Now, you have to ask yourself what could cause a concrete basement to give way and give entree into a... Um, a hidden world, so to speak. Well, he said he found what took place next to be difficult to put into words. He said uh, he and one of his um, associates tried to communicate. Um, he said something started to grow. And a whale started to bubble up inside and said, look, something's not right here. And uh, that was before the footsteps started, before everything started falling apart. The only way he could describe it, and it was like uh, standing in a living hell. He said the basement of Clark Air, Base, Air Force Base Hospital is a living hell. Or at least it felt like that, he said. He wanted to know what was causing that strong feeling, and he admitted what was, uh, and frankly, they had no idea. They knew for certain it wasn't attributable to the things that they had on the upper floors. The communication with spirits took place up there. This was something completely different. Now, he and his colleagues used a advice familiar to military personnel all over the world to try and communicate uh, with any restless souls of the armed forces that might still haunt the uh, 
the old hospital, such as the faceless man who asked a security guard for a cigarette. Found him, said he found himself thinking, what's the one thing those guys would respond to? He said, you have to understand that to try and reach a spirit, we have to try and find some common ground. He said he spoke to the crew and got them to hand over their cigarettes, and they used those to build a bridge to the spirits. And when the cigarette was offered, we heard two different voices coming back. One said, I'll take that, and the other one said, well, unfortunately, it's too late. Well, discussing the basement, Barry let out a sign and dropped the real bombshell. He says, whatever it was, did not belong in the human realm. He said he could remember saying to his companion and cameraman that uh, they needed to get out of there and quick, and that's when all of a sudden the footsteps started. And whatever happened in that place, it's still there. Well, he paused to digest the implications of the revelations, and the interviewer asked Barry whether he'd ever experienced anything similar, or even remotely like it on investigations before. He said, not with Ghost Hunters International and very rarely elsewhere. He said, I can't speak for anybody else, but that's why Clark Air Force Base Hospital is one of the few places I'll always leave well alone. Could quite happily walk away from forever and say, I'm done. He said, there are times when we, uh, as paranormal investigators, take that proverbial stick and poke the sleeping bear. He knows that at times, more often than not, we get bitten. And we should have left it well enough alone. And whatever's down there in the basement of the old Clark Hospital is ready to bite if somebody pokes it. So he was asked what he thought was going on in the basement. And although many accounts of the hauntings at Clark Air Base seem to center on the ghost military personnel, whether dating back to Vietnam era before that to World War II, he thinks the uh, something more sinister is at work below the crumbling old hospital. He said, I believe this comes down to the island, to the ground itself, rather than what happened in the building. Something older, more primal, something much more powerful is down there, just waiting for the opportunity to make itself known. In other words, although he believes that much of the paranormal activity around uh, taking place above ground at Clark can be explained in a more traditional type of hauntings, he says that a Non-human spirit of some sort. Maybe something more elemental in nature is by far the bigger story there, lurking just out of sight beneath the foundations of the former hospital. He said uh, we had our own fair share of dealing with this type of spirit activity around the world, not only in South Africa, but uh, particularly here at uh, home in Ireland, because the individual being interviewed was uh, lived in, lives in Ireland. He said, I certainly wasn't expecting to find it there at Clark. Well, his memories of Clark Air Base aren't all bad. He remembers uh, local go-kart track fondly, describing it with great enthusiasm as being uh, potentially life-threatening. At that point, it was decided to end their interview with a question that uh, the interviewer said he thought he knew the answer to. He said, so in closing, just how big a check would somebody have to write for you in order to get you back into that hospital basement? His response was immediate and very firm. He said, I'm not interested. I prefer not to go back in there again, ever. Well, the wheel of history has come full circle. Once again, the U.S. Navy and Air Force planes are flying missions from Clark's runways. More recently, P-8 maritime surveillance uh, patrol aircraft are being used to keep a watchful eye on the activities of the Chinese Navy as it continues to build a show of force in the region. U.S. Marines are conducting joint exercises with uh, the Republic of the Philippines military allies. Meanwhile, former Clark Air Base Hospital continues to fall into further decay and ruin, hoarding its secrets. Some of those uh, who have been interviewed about their investigations have uh, recalled their time at Clark and almost perfect experience. One serviceman even going so far as to describe it as uh, it was unique, no place like it on earth. Probably the most memorable assignment of most careers.
Another individual who had been stationed there said it was simply wonderful. And the others have talked about a darker tale, preferring to see the place as a living hell. And maybe both sides of the story are correct and paranormal experiences that seem to plague the former hospital are dependent every bit as much on the observer themselves as any other factor. For some, the base is idyllic and beautiful. For others, monstrous and evil. All anybody can say is uh, the final chapter of Clark Air Base Hospital is yet to be written. And with what's going on in the Middle East, which may well ignite the World War III everybody's been dreading. Who knows? Well, from the Philippines, let's go to West Virginia, Spencer State Hospital, also known as West Virginia's Second Hospital for the Insane. Spencer State Hospital accepted its first patients July 18, 1893. Stayed open for the part of a century. During that time, the hospital cared for arguably the most vulnerable and unfortunate members of society, mentally ill and the developmentally disabled. West Virginia state officials recognized the need for a second mental hospital in 1885 when the patient population in the primary facility reached an overflow of critical proportions. Patients were packed together like sardines in some areas, and something obviously needed to be done to alleviate the uh, confined conditions. A site deemed suitable for a new facility was selected in Rowan County, 1887, and monolithic quarter-mile brick structure was soon under construction. Rowan County reporter and journalist Catherine Keene wrote a series of articles to Marked the close of Spencer Hospital in 1889. One particular article, she said, as one explores the hospital's past, the story unfolds of a hard-working, low-paid staff who cared for their patients as if they were members of their own family. You know, they lacked the training and numbers to offer what actual therapy was mandated for each new trend in mental health over the years. The story emerges of the quest for humane uh, treatment for victims of mental illness and retardation and those who fought to make this a ideal reality in West Virginia. You know, there was a multitude of reasons for which patients were admitted and sometimes committed to Spencer State Hospital. It was documented in the 1910 State Board of Control report, which included alcoholic excess, senility, hereditary insanity, worry, ill health, overwork, Head and other injuries, syphilis, epilepsy, paralysis, morphia, cocaine use, chorea, disease of the uterus, pneumonia, bereavement, typhoid fever, tuberculosis, perpetual disorders, once called childbed fever. But not all those who resided at Spencer State were medically or mentally ill. As the facility expanded, it became something of a makeshift orphanage and geriatric nursing home took in children whose parents could no longer afford to raise them, along with the elderly or infirm who needed specialist care that their families were incapable of providing. Well, due to the popularity of such TV shows as American Horror Story and Asylum and movies such as One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, most people tend to shudder at the thought of what conditions inside a 20th century American mental hospital or institution such as this would have been like. And yet the conditions inside the walls of Spencer State Hospital are more humane than one might think, at first, of course. Images of patients being locked into tiny cramped cells and strapped tightly into the confines of straitjackets are the staple of a thousand horror movies, but the reality was the patients were rarely locked into their rooms at all. In fact, many of the patient rooms didn't even have doors. And during the few, first few decades of its existence, the hospital staff was told to try and, by and large, um, a care group of people who wanted to provide their patients with the best possible care. But then the trouble began. As the patient and resident population grew, the Worsening economic situation was cited as an example of understaffing. Patient-to-care provider ratios of 8 to 1 or higher became the, the new norm as the 
Staff became increasingly swamped in a near crippling workload. Period immediately following the Second World War can hardly be described as the mental health professional's finest hour. Lobotomization, a barrack attempt at brain surgery that would not have looked out of place being performed in a carpenter shed or abattoir, became the in vogue treatment for what was deemed to be severe mental illness. Most mental health professionals at the time believed that severe mental illness was caused by disease in the brain, mostly the frontal and prefrontal lobes. Surgery on these lobes, they reasoned, would alleviate the worst of the, sim- uh, the, worst of the symptoms. Earliest form of lobotomy to be practiced in the U.S. was a surgical procedure performed in an operating theater, which involved a neurosurgeon drilling a hole into the patient's skull in order to access the frontal lobes of the brain. Two doctors who specialized in the field of neurology, Dr. James Watts and Dr. Walter Freeman, pioneered the technique of accessing the brain by drilling a hole through the outer skull. Well, with the volume of reported cases of mental illness on the rise across the U.S., the shortcomings of this procedure became very clear. It had to be performed by skilled surgeons in a fully staffed operating theater. Freeman hit on what he thought was a brilliant idea, the transorbital lobotomy which soon uh, earned the grisly nickname of the ice pick lobotomy. This was a brutal process of hammering a pointed steel tool into the patient's brain by way of entry point just above the patient's eyeball. Prongs of the rod were slid underneath the patient's upper eyelid where the uh, physician performed the uh, procedure uh, and flipped back, and then the tool, known as a orbitoclast, was uh, hit repeatedly with a hammer until its tip penetrated the brain tissue at which point the doctor would jiggle it around in order to complete the operation. That's a uh, professional term, jiggle around. Great benefit of this type of lobotomy, according to Freeman, was that it could be conformed in asylums and mental institutions across the country without the need for an operating theater. Anesthesia was considered optional. The procedure was practiced extensively at Spencer State Hospital, sometimes by Freeman himself when he would drop in unannounced. Well, during the 1940s and 50s, thousands of lobotomies were being performed in American mental institutions each year. Little chronicle justification for this procedure and certainly no proven benefits. And some patients died during the lobotomy itself. Others died shortly afterward. Some took their own lives. Others simply wasted away and became violent due to the brain damage that occurred when the procedure was botched. What is certain is that the lobotomized individual is never the same afterward, and the change is rarely for the better. Lobotomy ultimately declined in popularity when drugs were released that uh, combated mental illness in a more effective way. Well, not many hospitals can make the dubious claim of possessing a dungeon, but such was the nickname given to a makeshift morgue at an uh, area located down in the basement. In a 2014 book entitled Inside Haunted Spencer State Hospital, author recounts a number of disturbing rumors at the center upon this part of the building. He attributes the sound of clanking chains heard in that uh, area to the rumor that uh, physically violent patients were restrained down there in the past, secured with links of chain. It's uh, an old truism, doctors bury their mistakes, and this might explain the persistent story that doctors at Spencer State permitted the burial of the corpses of some de- 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 deceased patients, those who had no family members to claim the body underneath the dungeon floor. Though uh, the author didn't buy into that particular rumor himself, he did contend that to some it was believable because many floors in the r- rooms in the underground dungeon consisted of uh, dirt in some places, concrete in others. And those who frequented the underground areas beneath the structure claimed that they could feel the ghost of dead patients breathing on them. Well, it was a 1970 interview that that author conducted with a uh, Spencer State Hospital maintenance worker. And the worker claimed to have experienced multiple encounters with something or someone paranormal inside those walls, particularly down in the lower levels. He said his work was interrupted by peculiar noises, more disturbingly by something touching him with what appeared to be uh, nobody else in the room. Instead, uh, and, and indeed, the man felt on more than one occasion he wasn't alone in what appeared to be a completely empty part of the hospital. Well, we've all experienced that particular sensation of being watched and know that uh, 
just how unnerved it can uh, be when we know we're alone, or at least we suspect we're alone. Well, on a sad note, that particular maintenance worker, after he gave that interview, took his own life. This was the only employee-related death associated with the hospital. Another worker there, who's referred to only as Mr. D.B., told uh, the author of um, the book about the hospital he had was harassed by unseen presences during his time there. And maybe that was a factor in why that man one day chose to murder his wife. There are those that certainly believe that's the case. The author, his name was Dudding, by the way, uh, said, I sometimes think that uh, some strange evil force within the walls of the old lunatic asylum had driven him to commit such a heinous crime. Could it be possible that he should have been a patient rather than an employee at the uh, Spencer State Hospital? Certainly, um, in hindsight, that's probably true. Well, many of the former employees of Spencer State Hospital have gone on record regarding their ghostly experiences at the facility. Reports of disembodied voices and other auditory phenomena occur again and again, including the wails and moans of those who uh, sound as though they're in the clutches of pain and fear and despair. Disembodied screaming has also been heard echoing throughout the empty corridors. Sound guaranteed to turn even the bravest paranormal investigator's blood into ice water. Although paranormal activity has been reported throughout almost every area of the building. Much of it seems to cluster in and around the lower floors and the basement or the dungeon, if you prefer. Eyewitness testimony regarding the basement uh, bears a startling inconsistency, feeling of being watched or at least in the presence of some invisible entity. Spencer State Hospital was demolished and replaced with a Walmart, of all things, along with a bevy of other smaller businesses, some of which still experience paranormal activity to this day. That's a legacy left over from uh, the site's uh, days hosting one of the world's most haunted hospitals. And although the haunted uh, facility itself is now gone, is one sad remnant of those poor souls that lived their lives within its walls. Before ultimately meeting their end there without family to bury them, short distance away from Route 36 on a hillside located close to the local elementary school, stands the unmarked graves of hundreds of former Spencer State Hospital residents. Unfortunates have nobody to mark their passing, and nobody will pay for a private funeral. Some have simply outlived their own families. Others have been tragically abandoned and forgotten by families that were either unwilling or unable to take care of them. The only way that passers-by might uh, know of their presence at all is a sim single, simple sign that says Spencer State Hospital Cemetery. And beneath that, it says uh, Spencer State Hospital, first called the Second Hospital for the Insane, opened July 18, 1893. Patients with many disorders lived in the facility, as well as the elderly people and unwanted children. Many residents without families lived there most of their lives and are buried in unmarked graves. According to the WPA information in 1940, Cemetery Number 1 had 750 unmarked graves. Seven that were marked. Cemetery number two had a hundred marked graves, none unmarked. Released uh, stone dated uh, 1902. The Spencer State Hospital closed in the year uh, in June of the, the year 1989. Cemetery itself, as you might guess, is reputedly haunted, which uh, should come as no surprise when you consider its background. Um, apparitions have been seen to wander there by the local residents. These might be the spirits of the Spencer State Hospital's abandoned and unremembered dead, still earthbound and attempting to draw attention to their plight. And certainly that may well be a logical conclusion. Well, from West Virginia, let's go to Victoria, Australia. The Aradale Mental Hospital, formerly the Aradale Lunatic Asylum. It's in the southeastern Australian state of Victoria, named after a nearby hill upon which the early settlers conferred the name of Mount Ararat. The city of Ararat was built upon gold, more specifically the gold rush of the late 1850s. 
turned it from a relatively small town into a thriving, booming center, center of commerce. Major gold scam uh, took place, and a gold seam was found and worked by Chinese gold miners, which goes a long way toward explaining a significant role that the Chinese have played in the formation of Ararat's history and culture. Situated on a prominent hilltop position with a commanding view of the surrounding landscape, the Ararat Lunatic Asylum was built to meet the increasing volume of mentally ill patients in the region. Opened its doors in October of 1867. Hill was originally named Cemetery Hill by the citizens of Ararat as it uh, housed the local graveyard and the old Ararat uh, goal. The, uh, the goal was an early name for a jail. The idea was that potential criminals in the town below would have a perpetual reminder of what awaited them if they were caught and maybe be deterred from committing a crime in the first place. And while it would be tempting to think that the hauntings in this area were due to, to um, the fact it was built on a burial ground situation, as in uh, Steven Spielberg's uh, book, The Poltergeist, the truth is the bodies were exhumed and moved to what's now the town cemetery prior to the asylum being built. But moving the bodies doesn't mean you move the essence as the Australian public's perception toward mental illness became more sympathetic over time, facilities such as Ararat changed their uh, titles, which continued to perform the same function of safeguarding and caring for the mentally ill. The facility that began life as the Ararat Lunatic Asylum was required to change its name in 1905 when the Australian uh, Lunacy Act mandated all asylums are now be referred to as hospitals for the insane. Just a few decades later, in 1933, a newly passed Mental Hygiene Act took umbrage at the word insane, along with all the negative connotations associated with that term, and made it law that such asylums and hospitals for the insane were now to be labeled mental hospitals instead. So, the name the Ararat Mental, the Aradale Mental Hospital, was sort of bone as a... Uh, compromise name, and no matter what you called it, it's still the same thing. Ararat was a small and complex of buildings when it was constructed, containing more than 60 distinct structures and having far more in common with a small town and with a healthcare institution. The designer aimed for the original asylum facility to be as close to self-sufficient and self-contained was as reasonably possible which is why Ararat possessed its own gardens, fruit orchards, vineyards, and a host of other sources of sustenance. even had its own dedicated morgue, something of a necessity uh, for an institution that held more than a thousand patients and half that many staff to look after them. Records show that at the height of its occupancy, the asylum was seeing an average of five deaths a week. Asylum housed the mentally ill patients ranging in severity from the relatively stable to the incurably insane. During the 19th century, it wasn't unheard of for some poor, unfortunate individuals to be committed to an institution such as Ararat for little more reason than having a series of seizures or having been born with developmental disorders such as Down syndrome. And we can say with certainty that some, if not many, of the patients committed here throughout the, the years didn't actually need to be institutionalized at all. but ended up in confinement simply due to bad fortune. Indeed, the Ararat Lunatic Asylum was an extremely easy place to get into and almost impossible one to get out once you were a patient. Leaving aside for a moment the tall and sturdy walls that enclosed the facility, rendering it extremely difficult to escape from physically, actually getting out of there in a legitimate manner required the signature of no less than eight doctors and administrators. Two signatures to get in, eight to get out. That tells us a great deal about the philosophy of which the asylum was run. Once you were in there, likelihood was you'd stay there for a considerable amount of time. Well, special measures had to be taken to isolate and safeguard those uh, violent criminal offenders who were also diagnosed with mental illnesses as the old Ararat Gaul building was converted into what was known as the J-Ward. It was a cross between a jail and a mental ward, which... Uh, we would know today as a high-security institution for the criminally insane, ordered to make the move from an ordinary prison to a cell on J. Ward on Ararat, 
proven how to be certified as clinically insane by a minimum of two doctors. Well, in practice, it was sometimes all too easy to get somebody confined to Jay Ward. Let's talk about the case of Bill Wallace, who passed away within the walls of Jay Ward at the grand old age of 107. Held the record as the longest-lived and longest-incarcerated tenant of the facility. In 1925, he was accused of being involved in a fight with another man over a cigarette, which supposedly ended up with him killing the other man. Details of the case are murky, but what is known is that Wallace was determined that the detained at the pleasure of the governor and given neither trial nor conviction, but was declared insane by two doctors and remanded to Arendelle's J. Ward, where he remained for the next 64 years. Well, J. Ward was up and running in 1887 and continued to house some of the more desperate and violent criminal patients for more than um, 100 years, until it was finally um, shut down in 1991. Now a museum that draws crowds of curious tourists. The... Um, the gallery was uh, built to architecturally mimic London's famous Pentonville Prison, which was heralded as the British capital's first modern correctional institution, and frankly, it's still being used today. Well, interestingly enough, both the old uh, goal and the ward that it later became would see more than a few deaths within its walls, such as George Fittimont fourth governor of the goal, who uh, collapsed and died of a massive heart attack in September of 1886. He was climbing an old stone staircase at the time. 2005, a local newspaper called the Air Red Advertiser published an article reporting that a visiting paranormal research team was fortunate enough to record the appearance of a mysterious mist climbing that same staircase that leads up to the old kitchens. There also executions, at least three hangings during the 1870s and 80s before the the goal became Jay Ward, all of them as punishment for the crime of murder. Well, on that note, we've come to the end of today's show. Unfortunately, the clock on the clubhouse wall um, makes its move known. So until tomorrow at this time, when we'll talk more about Jay Ward and the Ararat Lunatic, uh, Lunatic Asylum. This is Ken Hudnall for the Ken Hudnall Show saying have a truly great evening.